John. We're going to begin at verse 4. Verses 4 through 11 form the main content of this letter, the main body of the letter. And we'll be looking at verses 7 through 11, but we want to pick up where we looked at last week and read from verse 4. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we receive commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things that we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds." Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. Maybe you've been on the street of some city and you've had someone to come to you and offered to sell you something. Maybe they opened up their coat jacket and they had a number of watches or necklaces there. And they said, I'd like to sell you a Rolex watch for $100. This is a special deal just for you. Well, I doubt that you would have purchased that watch or necklace. And as we think about peddlers, this is often what they are doing. They are peddling and trying to get you to buy into something. Well, as we come to this portion of 2 John, we have here someone who is peddling, but it is not a watch, it's not a necklace, but it is heresy. And what we have here today is a call that is given by John to beware of heresy peddlers. In verses 4 to 6 that we looked at last week, here John is commending many of these people who are the children of the elect lady, and I've made the case, and I think that it seems to be that there's a reference not to a particular lady, but to a church that John is writing to, this elect lady, the church, and her children, the members of it. And he said, I have found some of your children walking in the truth. That blessed the heart of this apostle John. So thankful to see as he had run across them, to see them walking in the truth. And then he goes on to encourage them to do the same. And as he's written this letter back to them, he says, 
I want you to be very careful to keep the commandment that you've had from the very beginning that is really central to the Christian life and the gospel of the people of God, and that is that you love one another. We've seen this in 1 John, now in 2 John, and here's this call and a reminder to them to, to love one another. We need to be reminded of that, don't we, again and again. But this is really should be an identification of who we are. Jesus said, you'll know my disciples because they love one another. But we see that this love that John calls them to, is it's not a self-directed kind of love. It's not something that we deem how to love someone. We're being told in our day that there are people that we have to um, we have to affirm them. We have to love them because of the feelings that they have about themselves and whatever those feelings may be. You know, if they feel like they're transgender or they feel like they can have a homosexual marriage, we need to be affirming of these things about them. And John would say, no, that's not the case. We are to love in truth. He says that in verse 6. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. We walk according to his commandments. So love is something that is directed by the word of God. This is how we are to love one another. So he reminds them of this key important aspect of the Christian life, to love one another. And now we come to verse 7 through 11, and this is the rest of the main body of this letter that he is penning to this church. And we see John's main concern here to protect this church, to protect the sheep that are there, because there are heresy peddlers that are out there in this world. We see in verse 7, For many deceivers have gone out into the world. And we have this little conjunction there in verse 7, 4, and it ties it back to what he's just been talking about. And that John is connecting this, that we are called to walk in truth. But as you are walking in truth, be aware of this, that there are those who are out there who would seek to, seek to get you off of the path that you are called to walk as, as Christians. And you need to be warned, and you need to be instructed, and that's what John will do in this portion of this uh, letter He's warning them, and he's going to instruct them to keep walking, keep walking on this path, keep walking in the word of God based upon the commandments of Christ, adhere to Christ, and don't listen to these false teachers that are out there. So be on your guard. So we begin, first of all, with John's warning relative to these heresy peddlers. And we notice that this is a present reality concerning these peddlers. He says here, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. Now, Jesus had spoke about this. Jesus had foretold this as he was with his disciples in Mark 13, 22. He said that there are going to be false Christs and false prophets who will arise. It's going to happen. And they will show signs and wonders to deceive And he says this, if possible, even the elect. Of course, they will not be able to do that. But there's the warning that Jesus gives that they will be out there and you need to be on your guard. So it is coming. Well, John says it's here. It has already happened. 
Already these deceivers have gone out into the world. It's a present reality. And notice, it's not just a few. There are many deceivers, many who have gone out that oppose the gospel. So as the gospel is going out into the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire at this time had a very good network of roads throughout the empire tying cities together whereby you could travel and usually travel safely. And and as the gospel is going out into the various places, and this church probably in Asia Minor that he is writing to, the gospel has come there. It may have been John that actually had preached the gospel there and established this church. I don't know for sure, but it may the, the gospel has gone out. But just as soon as the gospel is going out, coming right on the heels of it, are those who are coming and preaching a different Christ, a different Christ. They are deceivers, and they are antichrists. And John has a heart for his sheep, and it's a very pastoral concern that he has for them. And it's no less true in our own day, is it? We find that there are those who oppose vigorously the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we think about this, this is more than man's enmity against God. God and against Christ. The Bible tells us that fallen sons of Adam, they hate the light. They hate the light, and they won't come to the light left to themselves. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God. This is what the Word of God says about all of us as fallen sons of Adam. This would have been true of us. If we're a Christian, that would have been true of us. There was hostility in our heart toward God, and God in grace has redeemed and saved us. But as we think about this enmity that is in the heart of men, we realize that there's more to it when we come to these false teachers, these deceivers. There's something that's in the background with regard to this, this opposition to the gospel and the the, the gospel as it goes forth into the world. There is an unseen power. And and what we, we hear here is what we heard in the garden. We hear the hiss of a serpent, the hiss of the serpent. Listen to these words of Paul in Ephesians 6, telling us to put on the whole armor of Christ, the whole armor of God. Why? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Jesus said that Satan is a liar and he's been a murderer from the beginning. We look at our culture and we see the, ad, the, the promotion of the killing of a baby in the womb of the mother. The safest place it ought to be for a baby to be and that, yet there is this endeavor to, to allow for a woman to kill the baby in her womb. There is more to this than just men. There is this one who has been a murderer from the beginning. We think about transgenderism of doctors actually performing surgeries, even on young people, young children, to so-called change their gender. There's more to it than just the hostility of men's heart. There is these principalities and powers 
that Paul speaks about. These are actively involved in our world. But another thing that we see is, as we think about these antichrists, these deceivers that John is speaking about, that these, this is the devil's ambassadors, and they usually do not come with pointed tails and a pitchfork. When you think about the ambassadors that Satan has, his minions, they often will come to your doorstep and they'll have a nice tie on and dress very nicely. And uh, they will um, speak well. They'll even speak about Jesus. And a lot of times some of these people that we hear, um, they have letters behind their names, Dr. So-and-so. They seem to be very well educated, know a lot about the Bible And they say a lot of things about Jesus, but often very subtly it's a distortion of the very person and the work of Jesus Christ. And again, Satan is behind this. And we read in 2 Corinthians 11 these words, verses 13 to 15, as Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and he says that there are these false apostles, these deceitful workers who transform themselves into the apostles of Christ. And then he says this, and no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. Listen to these words of Paul. That those who are deceivers, they don't come to you again with forked tail, horns. They, They are those who come and they transform themselves into angels of light or messengers of light. There's deception that is involved with it, but they can look and sound almost Christian. And so you have to be very careful. So this enemy is the devil and those who work for him, if you will, who are inspired by him, they are opposing King Jesus, his church, and the faith of God's people. And we notice a contrast here. Notice in verse 7 it says here that they have gone out into the world. Think about Jesus Christ. It tells us that Jesus Christ has gone out into the world, hasn't he? We saw this in 1 John 4, verse 9. In this is the love of God. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. The Father has sent his Son into the world. Jesus said that in John 6. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but I've come to do the will of him who sent me. I've come to do his will. He sent me. I've come to do his will. And I'm thankful that he's going to accomplish that will. But he sent me, and I've come. So Jesus is one who was sent out into the world. We also know that Jesus then sent his own apostles out into the world, didn't he? He sent them to go and go into the Roman Empire and to preach the gospel, to establish churches. So they were sent out into the world. They are now taking the gospel out into the Roman uh, Empire. 
And so they are sent out. And we know that's true for us as well, isn't it? Jesus says to us, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So the church is to send out, as we have Larry and Sarah here with us, missionaries that go to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus was sent out. He sent out his apostles into the world. We are to send out those into the world. We are to go into the world and preach the gospel. But here is Satan, and his deceivers have now gone out into that very same world. So as the apostles are traveling these roads, going and preaching the gospel, right behind them there are others who have been sent out by the deceiver, by Satan, they too have gone out into the world to peddle a false Christ. Now, we don't know if it's gotten to this church at this point. Verse 10 might suggest that it hasn't because he says, if anyone comes to you, so be prepared. Maybe they had already gotten there, but it may be that they hadn't. But John's just warning them. Sure as I'm writing to you, I know they're going to be knocking on your door. So you need to be very careful. So there is this gospel, this false gospel that is going forth, and it's a reality now. But secondly, what is the test? The test relative to these heresy peddlers. How can you know who is speaking truth? Or how do we know these who are deceivers and these who are antichrists? Well, the question is this, what do they say about Jesus Christ? Who do they say that Jesus Christ is? Remember, Jesus asked that of his own disciples. Who who do men say that I am? Well, some are saying you're Elijah, some Jeremiah. Who do you say that I am? You remember what what Peter responds? Peter says, you you are the Christ, you're the son of the living God. God. But this is the test by which you can know whether someone is a false teacher, a deceiver, or not. What do they say about the person of Jesus Christ? What do they say about the work of Jesus Christ, what he has come to do? Because there's a lot of people who are teachers and a lot of people who will say that they're Christians and they say that they, they say a lot about Jesus. But a lot of times as you talk a little bit more, you find out this isn't really the Jesus of the Bible. And so this warning is given. And what is it here that particularly John speaks of? Well, these deceivers, they've gone out into the world and they do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. So they deny one of the very important truths about the gospel and about the person of Jesus Christ, and that is the the doctrine of the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the very Son of God came into this world, was born of the Virgin Mary, and he lived a sinless life. Humanity and deity joined together in one. Uh, Two natures, full and undiminished deity and full and undiminished humanity in this one person, Jesus Christ. So these others were denying this, that he 
This wasn't God in the flesh. This is sometimes referred to as a hypostatic union. It's a big word, but just has the idea of having the same nature, this union of these two natures in one. David Mathis wrote and said, Jesus has two complete natures, one fully human and one fully divine. What the doctrine of the hypostatic union teaches is that these two natures are united in one person, in the God-man. Jesus is not two persons. He is one person. The hypostatic union is the joining, mysterious though it may be, he says, and it is a mystery, but it is what the Word of God teaches. It's This union is the joining of the divine and the human in one person, in the one person of Jesus. So Jesus has everything that is true of a human being. We see that in the Gospels, don't we? He was a man like we are. He is one who slept. He is one who ate. He is one who, who, who became tired. He, was, he had a human nature, just like we do. But also, he has everything true of a divine being. We read from Colossians 2, 9, that in him, that is in this Jesus, the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form. So that Jesus could say, if you have seen me, Philip, you have seen the Father. This is the great truth of the incarnation that God became a man. And this is a very important truth that we must lay hold of. These two natures exist in this one person in a way that they are united but not mixed. It's not like the divine nature and the human nature were put in a food blender and just all mixed together they are distinct from one another, but they, all, they both exist in this one person. We read in that affirmation that the two natures of Christ are united in his one divine person without mixture, confusion, division, or separation. So these are things that in the early church that they spent a lot of time on to be clear about what the Bible says about who this Jesus is. That he, in fact, is God in the flesh. The word was made flesh, and John says we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and of truth. And this is vitally important. Because if Jesus is not the Son of God incarnate, the gospel begins to unravel. And really, ultimately, you do not have a gospel. There's no atonement. No mere man can atone for our sins. He must be like us, and the Bible tells us that, that just as Adam represented us, Jesus Christ is our representative. He's the last Adam. And because we partake of flesh and blood, he partook of the same, that he might be like us and able to represent us. But he's more than just a man. He's the God-man, the very Son of God, 
who has the ability, who has the power to make atonement for our sin. The God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this union is something that is permanent. When Jesus went back to heaven, when he ascended back to heaven, he ascended there, and guess what? He still bears our likeness. He still has a body. He is there as our representative, and this should be an encouragement to us. Think about this, that the very Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, willingly took our likeness permanently so that he might redeem us. And he is one who is able to be our advocate. We have one in heaven who is able to sympathize with us because he was tested in all points like we are, yet without sin. But do you not see here the love of Christ? Jesus willingly would take upon himself our nature in order to redeem and to save us. And we're reminded as we think of the incarnation that God is for us. He is for us. And so here is a non-negotiable when it comes to the person of Christ and the test that we must ask. What do you believe about Jesus? If you come to my doorstep or you come into our church to maybe in this case probably present truth or what they think is truth. First of all, what do you believe about Jesus? Who do you say that he is? Well, what John says, these that will come, be aware, there are these deceivers, these antichrists, and they will deny that Jesus has come, the Son of God has come in the flesh, that Jesus is not the Son of God. And so we must be on guard. So he uses these two words, deceivers. And this is an idea of corruptors, those who mislead, those who seduce, those who lead astray. They're coming for this purpose. They're coming to deceive you, to mislead you, so be on your guard. They are also referred to here as this is the deceiver and an antichrist, an antichrist which simply means against Christ. They're preaching another Christ. They come talking about Christ, but it is another Christ. It is another Christ. And so they are radically opposed to the true doctrine of Christ. And again, behind this is Satan himself, who can transform himself through his messengers into angels of light. So John's warning Be on your guard. Be on your guard. Secondly, we see John's instructions relative to the heresy peddlers. In verse 8, we see here he is a call to be self-watchful and persevere. Be self-watchful. Look to yourselves. Look to yourselves. So as you think about these imposters that are out there in the world, these deceivers, look to yourselves. Now, this word look can be used in a literal way to look and see something physically, but it's often used metaphorically to look in such a way as to be discerning about something, to see with 
the eyes of our mind and to be discerning about things, particularly about these false teachers. So first of all, look to yourself and be on guard. Contemplate, discern, look within you, be on guard regarding what's around you. So watch yourselves and guard your own heart. Guard your own heart, but also then be careful about what's around you in in the world. This is an important word in the Bible, in the New Testament, is this idea of watchfulness. That we're not to, we're to be sober-minded, we are to be watchful. And Jesus talks about this in, in Mark 13. He says, see that no one leads you astray. See that no one leads you astray. It's a responsibility we have as Christians, not just for pastors, elders, but we are all called, as Jesus says, to be on our guard that no one leads you astray. And he said, I'm telling you this all beforehand. So be on your guard. Paul does the same. First Timothy 4.16, keep watch over yourselves and your doctrine. So he writes to Timothy, Timothy, keep watch over yourself, but also over your doctrine. And then in 1 John 4, 1 that we looked at, beloved, do not believe every um, spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. So here's this call that is given to us as Christians to be watchful, to be careful, to guard our own hearts, and don't be naive. Don't just believe everything that you hear, but be discerning. Now, this takes work, doesn't it? We need to be growing in grace. We need to be understanding more and more about who Jesus is and to have a discerning ear. So this will take work for us. And so uh, look to yourselves, he says. And then he goes on and says, we do, we do not lose, uh, we, that we do not lose the things that we worked for, for that we may receive a full reward. Uh, one commentator said this, the thought is not of their winning or losing their salvation, which is a free gift, but their reward for faithful service. The metaphor seems to be taken from the payment of labor, since reward is a workman's wage. John may be thinking of himself and them as fellow laborers in the Lord's vineyard, in which case he is anxious that they should not slack and so receive less than a full day's pay. So we need to be faithful to our Lord. We need to be faithful to the calling that is given to us, and we need to look out for ourselves. We need to guard carefully and contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered unto the saints. Now notice the ramifications of this, what John says in verse 9. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, notice what he says, does not have God. Whoever transgresses, this word is this idea also of to go beyond It's translated like that in the NIV and the ESV. Whoever runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ. And it's this idea of going beyond what the apostles have communicated 
concerning the gospel. It's to go beyond that. You remember in the garden when Eve was there in the garden and the serpent came to her, tempted her. He was calling her to go beyond what God had said. To be more free thinking, to go beyond. And this is the warning that is given. that Those who go beyond, those who transgress. The author here, uh, to quote a commentator, he said, the author is almost certainly borrowing from the vocabulary of the heretics. They claim to have go-ahead views as superior knowledge, which had enabled them to advance beyond the rudiments of the faith in which the common herd were content to abide. So here is those who have gone beyond what has been revealed by God, what has been been revealed by the apostles concerning the gospel. They They haven't been abiding in it, but they've gone beyond it, outside of it. We hear a lot today about progressive Christianity. We want something that's a little more progressive. This Jesus of the Bible we're not so sure about. And we want something that's more up to date, a more progressive Christ, a more progressive kind of Christianity. We hear this a lot. Kind of the Jesus of the Bible has been tried and found wanting. And so here is this more progressive, advanced Jesus. But what John says to us here is to advance beyond Christ, it's not progress. It's apostasy. It's not enlightenment. It is darkness. It is darkness. So he says, watch yourselves, for if you don't, it can be deadly. And notice what he says, that those go, who go beyond, who go outside of the apostolic revelation concerning Jesus and who he is, his identity and his work, those who go beyond, he warns them that this will be the end of those deceivers, but maybe a warning to them that they don't go this way. Notice he says that those who do not abide in the doctrine of Christ He does not not have God. Does not have God. They profess to, but they do not. They do not know the true and the living God. uh, uh, They are deceivers. And they do not have God if they deny the doctrine of Christ. But notice what he says. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son has both the Father and the Son. They go together. They're never, ever separated. He who has the Son has the Father. He who has the Father has the Son. And so these things go together. So here's the warning, and here's the call to abide in Christ. Don't go beyond the gospel. Do not go beyond what is revealed in the word of God. But rather, abide in The doctrine of Christ. This is another very important word in the New Testament. That we abide. This is the idea of remaining. It's a present tense. Continue to abide. Continue to remain in this doctrine. In the doctrine of Christ. Cling. Cling tenaciously to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Son of God. 
Don't turn away. Don't turn your back on him. Don't listen to anyone who would seek to lead you astray. And so here is this call to persevere. Persevere. John Stott said, This is as true today of all non-Christian religions as it was in the first century. Many today want God without Jesus Christ. They say they believe in God, but see no necessity for Jesus. But they want to bring non-Christian religions onto a level with Christianity as alternative roads to God. We hear that all the time. Such errors must be strenuously resisted. In this, the Christian is conservative, not progressive, seeking to abide in the doctrine of Christ, not to advance beyond it. And so here's the call, abide in this doctrine. Oh, brothers and sisters, abide in Christ. Don't go beyond. Don't listen to these heresy peddlers, but remain faithful. And there's a warning to anyone who would not remain, who would turn away from this Jesus and this doctrine of Jesus. There's the warning that you do. You do not have the true and living God. I remember my Greek professor when I was in seminary. He said the warning passages that we have in the book of Hebrews are the way in which God keeps his people. Because his, his people hear these warnings that are given. And because they are sheep, they hear the voice of their shepherd and they say to themselves, I don't want to go that way. That is not a good way to go beyond the gospel, to go beyond what God has revealed. And the warning is given to do so is to, to not abide in the doctrine of Christ is, is you forfeit God. You do not have the God of the scripture. And you're really not a believer. You're not really in Christ. And a believer will hear that warning and will respond and he will say, by God's grace, I will not follow, I will not heed, I will not listen to this teaching. Well, I was right. I wasn't going to get through this whole sermon. Next week, we will see what we're to do then when those individuals we are confronted with who bring and peddle a different gospel. And we are not to enable them. We're not to support them. We're not to encourage that teaching in any way. So we'll pick it up there next week uh, with regard to that. Well, if you will, take your hymn book as we, are, as we close this morning and turn to number 606. And we're going to just sing a benediction. And we are thankful by God's grace, if we're a Christian today, that by God's grace we have been brought in fellowship with him through his son, who is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him.